am so thankful to be a part of a house where we get to start our year talking about intimacy, identity, and inheritance for these first three months. And if you are new with us, we've been doing this every year for several years. When Kate and I began this journey of pastoring, um, one of the things that the Lord put on our heart um, was intimacy, identity, inheritance, that this is how we would build a healthy church. This is how we would build a healthy community of people. And the Lord put it on our heart um, sort of as a mandate that we would never stray far from these three simple tenets that he is leading us into. And so we made a commitment as we began leading this church years ago that every year, uh, in, in some form or another, that every year as a church and as a community, that we would spend time focusing our hearts on intimacy, identity, and, and inheritance before we headed into whatever else we might feel like the Lord is leading us into for that year. And so this year is a pretty, pretty neat way that it lines out. Um, is that we have intimacy, identity, inheritance, we have a family life Sunday, and then we have Easter together. And so we will be spending that lead up to celebrating Jesus' life and death and resurrection um, by really unpacking what that has purchased for us, intimacy with him, identity, inheritance. And so the title of this first quarter, our series for this first quarter is Become. Uh, be with Jesus, become like him for the sake of the world. So our, our intimacy with God, we've said it like this, our intimacy with God through the, is through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Our new identity is through the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, and the inheritance that we carry and release is because we are reconciled to a good father. We have an inheritance because we have a good father. Now that's a lot of words, but to simplify it, with Jesus as our tangible example and our teacher of what this looks like, I would say it is this. Intimacy is to be with Jesus. Identity is to become like him. And inheritance is to do as he did. I don't say it this way to diminish the reality, the Trinitarian reality of intimacy, identity, inheritance that we hold in such high regard. But as I said, Jesus is our tangible example of what this looks like. And so as we are disciples, if we are following Jesus, we say Jesus is going to teach us. We just need to learn how to be with Jesus, how to become like him in our identity, and then to do as he did is the empowerment. It is our mandate. It is our invitation into a tangible and present kingdom, and our, our inheritance is living that out and walking that out. And so the simplest terms that we have for us is to be with Jesus, become like him, and do as he did. So today we are focusing on intimacy and I have taught this so many times in so many different ways. Not this particular message. It's always fresh and, and different things are being just restored or, or reminded in my heart or new things are being brought, being brought to my heart. Um, but as I teach this, I am making my ongoing commitment to you as I have the last end of 2023. Some of you have noticed the end of 2023 and hopefully in 2024 to be a slower teacher. It's a shot I am giving. And so this morning, I might be a little bit amped up. I might teach a little bit fast. One, I love this topic. I love what we get to bring ourselves into in this time. But number two is I had a crazy, wild morning that has me a little bit flustered. And being flustered means I might go to some of my comfort zone, which is speed teaching. Um, <laughs> 
message prep is, is, as a pastor, message prep is something that happens throughout the week. And a lot of times I'm able to give some time to it. And then other times I uh, am jackhammering a floor instead. And, um, and so, but what I've also been trying to do is to honor my um, ruthless elimination of hurry is to not be using Fridays and Saturdays for message prep. And so yesterday I thought to myself, awesome, I will not do any message prep on Saturday because I'm honoring this new rhythm that God's inviting us into, which is lesson number one about honoring a new rhythm that God is inviting you into is first of all, it sucks. Number two, you're not going to be good at it at first. And number three, there's going to be really um, awkward repercussions from it. So the repercussions were, oh, I don't need to prep my message on Sunday. I'll just get up early. I mean, on Saturday, I'll get up early on Sunday, as I normally do, and I'll just tweak it a little bit. And I woke up this morning, and I'm like, oh, man. Oh, okay, well, let me just rewrite this bit. Oh, let me do this part. Let me do this part. And so hours later, I'm like, I think I just crammed all of my message prep for the week accidentally into Sunday morning. And so I was pushing the time a little bit, and I got ready, and I'm heading here, and I go out, and my truck... My Ford F-150, the most, most dependable car on the road, right? <laughs> what? Is, there, is there something you're not telling me? It won't, the battery's dead. It won't, it won't start. And so I'm like, well, good thing I have a 17-year-old son who um, has a backup car. So can we keep, where's he at? We keep a Honda Odyssey, like a 2000 and something Honda Odyssey as a backup car in case, um, you know, he's not like doing things that I want him to do. And then he has to give me his, his really hideous but awesome in its own way, 1990 Montero. He has to give that up and he gets to drive the Honda Odyssey. So, so it's like a punishment for when you're always running behind and you're not, you're not doing well in life. So guess what I got to drive this morning? <laughs> so I go out and I jump in the Honda Odyssey. And I don't know if you remember what it's like to be 17, but um, he left that thing so empty that I literally thought that I was going to run out of gas this morning on, on the way to church. Like, I haven't driven with that little amount of gas since I was probably 19 years old. And it's like, it's like pegged a full quarter tank below empty with the light like, hello, hello, hello. So... My son is amazing. He's a great kid. But one thing he will do is because he has access to two vehicles, um, he will switch back and forth depending on whichever one runs out of gas. And so he'll run that thing. It's like $5 is $100. So $5 worth of gas, he will run it bare to the bone. So I am happy to have made it here this morning. All of that to say, a little flustered. So if it gets crazy and wild and we uh, end up preaching at Mach 2 for 72 minutes, that is my excuse. Try <laughs> Setting new rhythms for ourselves is not as simple or straightforward as we think it might be. So give yourself lots of grace as you do that. Today we're talking about intimacy. And by intimacy, we just want to say it is to know God and it is to be known by God truly and deeply. And as we say, intimately and to be seen and loved as you are, wherever you are right now, as you are wherever you are, completely, wholly loved. And that we are invited by God to encounter that love so personally that we would form our lives around love, around him, and become more and more like him. That is what intimacy is. 
And so today, as we start this year with a familiar message for many of you, and if you're new to us, I'm excited for you to come through this journey with us. But today, as a marker on our year, it is a reminder for us of God's passionate pursuit of us and of you. And it is a reminder of his constant invitation to our hearts and to your heart to be safe and to be set free and to be satisfied in him. And what my prayer has been this morning, um, <clears throat> as I was preparing these last few notes, is that I want the power of his love to pull us into pursuit of him, that nothing else would satisfy us once we've had this revelation of the lengths that Jesus has gone in his love to be with you, to be with me, to be with us. As Ephesians 3.17 says, and in all of Paul's letters, Paul's letters are just a beautiful demonstration, a beautiful writing of the gospel, the truth, the good news of Jesus. And so much of Paul's writings are about the reconciliation of God, about how God has brought us different, diverse people into one new humanity, how God has brought us enemies of God who were separated from him into relationship with him. And so this morning, as I read scriptures, I'm going to be reading a lot of Paul's words. And my reason for doing that is not so that we can just cherry pick a bunch of his words or quotes from Paul, but that you would be encouraged to read through Paul's letters as we go through these first three months and you would see this amazing presentation of a brilliant thinker and theologian who is talking about the division that was, was breached by God alone so that we can be known by him and that we're invited into that. As he says, and that's our heart, is that we would step into that. And as Paul says in Ephesians 3.17, that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. That the roots of your life would be into not what you are, not what you have, not where you're going, not what you're accomplishing, but the roots of your life would be deep into one thing. That is the love of God. And so this lifelong journey of oneness, this lifelong journey of unity, which is what intimacy truly means, is the core and the heartbeat of this church, of this people. And that breaks us out of religiosity, which we love to do. It breaks us out of performance, which we are passionate about. And it returns us to this basic truth. And the basic truth is that because of the Trinity, the Trinitarian God who created us, we were created from intimacy and relationship in the Godhead. As the Trinity said, let us create man in our image. And so from that relationship, from that family, from that perfect unity, we were created. We were created from intimacy. We were created for intimacy, to be in relationship with God and to be in relationship with those around us. And when that relationship and when that intimacy that God created us from and created us for was broken at the fall, when we chose a shortcut instead of what God had already given to us, we chose the shortcut, that relationship was broken, and did God sit back and go, oh, now we've screwed it up? No, he pursued us. Why? To return us back to relational intimacy that he created us from and created us for. Jesus came to restore us to intimacy. In Colossians, again, Paul's 
words. For God was pleased to have all the fullness, all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What a powerful gospel. What a powerful good news that we are invited into to be able to say through Jesus' death and blood shed on the cross and his resurrection that you and I, in relationship with Jesus, through Christ's physical body, through his death, that we are presented holy before God without blemish and free from accusation. Free from the one who accuses free from the one who wants to label us, free from the one who wants to try to determine what we are by what others speak of us or what the world speaks of us or what our family or heritage or whatever speaks of us. That his blood, this is why we sing this song, his blood speaks a better word. Why? Because his blood has washed us that we get to stand before God free of accusation. Amen? Such a powerful verse for us to absorb into our spirits. Ephesians 2, Paul also says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved, which is translated as, yes, both a future salvation, but also a current reality of being healed, protected, and restored. It is by grace that you have been ransomed, rescued, healed, restored. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. A fun thing for us to do as we study Paul's letters, as we study the New Testament, is to circle anywhere that it says with Christ and in Christ. It's such a powerful theological reality that we can explore in Paul's writings. He made us alive with Christ and raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Why? Because we are in Christ Jesus. So when we confess Jesus as Lord, when we confess Jesus as Lord, unity and relationship and this intimacy that I'm talking about is our position. Positionally, we are seated with Christ, one with God. Not God's, but belonging to God. And so we are invited into that place, seated with Christ. That is our position. But knowing that theologically and knowing that doctrinally, that truth of our position doesn't guarantee that we are living it experientially, right? And that is where our pursuit of God comes into the equation. When we talk about intimacy, there is a pursuit that must take place. And I'm very careful when I talk about pursuing God. Why? Because so often people hear pursuit, or I say pursuit, and people hear earning. I say run after God, and people hear striving. 
So what I want to do today in beginning this teaching with our positional reality, there are not enough Sundays in the year for us to teach about our positional reality that gives me permission biblically to stand up here and say, you're invited into an intimate relation, relational intimacy with God. That is your position in Jesus. When you've surrendered your life to him, that is your position in him. I cannot overemphasize that enough. But I also have to look at you and myself in the practical and say, although that is true of us theologically and doctrinally and biblically, positionally, our life matters in that equation. Not because we are earning his intimacy, but we are stewarding our lives to be able to access that which is already ours, correct? So that is our position, but there is also a pursuit that I want to talk about today. Hebrews 11.6, the author of Hebrews. Without faith, without allegiance, without, without allegiance of our lives to God, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek who earnestly pursue him. And so to earnestly pursue him is to pursue him for him, not to pursue him for status, not to pursue him for check marks, not to pursue him for good job, good, mighty Christian soldier. It is not that. It is just see, he is the worth. He is the treasure. And that is what it means to earnestly seek or pursue him. And so our position is established in Christ. And we now pursue him because he first pursued us and made himself known to us because he first loved us. And so don't miss this. Do not miss this. I am pursuing God because first in his pursuit, God in Jesus removed every obstacle. He broke every chain. He defeated every enemy. He forgave every sin so that at the end of his victory, nothing would remain that could separate me or you or us from him. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all of creation, all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. At the end of his victory, there was absolutely nothing that could separate us. And so when I say I can pursue him, it is because he first pursued me. When I say that I can love him, it is because he first loved me. Our position and our pursuit. And we have to remember that first and foremost, God's pursuit of you and me, and us, is a love story. And it's not about what he wants from you. It's not about what he wants to do through you. It's not even what he wants to do for you. He just wants you to be with him. John 10, 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. He's speaking of a Trinitarian relationship that is unimaginable to us. But in the sense that he even dares to compare it. I don't know if Jesus is very good at doctrine or theology at this point. That was a joke, everyone. Sorry. It's, it's, 
it's a verse, just so you know, it's a verse that can get really, really wonky to people really, really fast, okay? So we are not saying that we are a part of the Trinity, but the fact that Jesus compares his desire for us to know him and know his voice in the same way that he knows the Father, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, and I desire that you and I would have the same closeness that he and I have. It's, it's not only good, it's like mind-blowing. Jesus, I don't know if you understand what you're saying, man. But the power of that should be staggering to us. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I want my sheep to know me. What an invitation that is into intimacy. That we, through and in Jesus, can know and be known by God, but not just known. Scripture says he wants to go beyond just the knowing. He wants to fill us with his presence, to fill us to the fullness of his spirit. It's not just about knowing. It is also about carrying his presence. We're offered an experiential reality of his spirit and his presence. And as such, that should be the sole, I believe, that should be the sole pursuit of our life. His spirit, his very presence in us, through us, around us, and upon us. But my concern as a pastor is that if Jesus isn't at the center of our lives, if that pursuit and that invitation as sheep, to know our shepherd the same way that the shepherd knows the Father. That if Jesus isn't at the center of our lives, that he becomes a sort of accomplice to our life. The co-star of our life, if you will, who is along for the ride, a part of our story rather than the center of it. And what is formed is sort of a self-centered spirituality of a life with Jesus where he becomes formed into our story and image rather than our story being formed around us, around him and us into his image. We are all being formed. You're going to hear us say this many times this year, whether it's through the discipleship groups or the Sunday mornings or the different things that we're doing. It's imperative that we recognize that whether intentional or unintentional, we are all being formed by something. And so the question this morning, if you are being formed, what are you being formed by? And if Jesus isn't at the center of my story, I am asking Jesus to be formed around me and around my story. But the true invitation of the life and the death and the resurrection, the enthronement of Jesus is that we're invited into his presence that our life would be formed around him. Jack Hayford, Pastor Jack, says, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshiped. In other words, we are formed by that which we center our hearts, minds, and lives around. Jesus is not to be formed around your life or around my life. We are to be formed around Jesus as we set our hearts, as we set our hearts saying yes to this invitation, we set our hearts to know and honor and be crafted and cared for by the master potter. We are the clay, our lives, our hearts, fully surrendered to him. And then his formation of us becomes the center of everything that we are and everything that we do. So as I close out this morning's talk on intimacy, 
I want to return to the top. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. There's a reason why we have that there. It is not a progression to strive for. It is the result. And so as I focus not on becoming like Jesus, I only need to focus on being with Jesus. Becoming like Jesus is a result of a heart on fire to simply pursuing being with Jesus. And the problem with so much of our journeys, our journeys with Christianity, is that we were given the tools and the rules to become like Jesus without being told that you can simply get there by being with Jesus. And so what we're trying to do is undo a lot of rules and regulations and performances and jumping through the hoops, and we're trying to offer people this intimacy first. Be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. And allow him to disciple you. Follow him and allow him to disciple you. The energy that it takes to follow the way of Jesus, to become like Jesus in your everyday life, decreases in proportion to your being with Jesus. Let me say it again. You're like, you guys are like, you are an idiot, man. This does not work. This works. Listen, the energy that it takes to follow the way of Jesus, to become like Jesus in your everyday life, decreases in proportion to being with Jesus. So much of the pastoral counseling that I do, don't, nobody take offense to this. I've sat with almost every, with so many, a larger percentage of you in this room. So nobody be like, he's saying this about me. The largest percentage of pastoral counseling, and I will add myself to this list if it makes you feel better because I've been there too. I want the shortcut. The largest percentage of pastoral counseling is people sitting down with me and saying, Ryan, tell me how to get there without having to be with Jesus. Now, I don't mean that to say that people don't want to be with Jesus. I'm simply saying that we are trying to get a spiritual workaround when the absolute way is to simply Follow and be with Jesus. I don't have time or energy or the ability to do that, so just tell me what I can do to get there. I want the behavior, not the becoming, which means I do not want the being with. Now, I don't say that to, to knock any single one of us because I have been there, you have been there, Right? And often the reason we're there is because we would rather do something productive for Jesus than just sit in unproductivity at his feet. But it is sitting at his feet, at his voice, with his presence in our ear, watching him and seeing him, that we are transformed. And it is in the transformation of being near Jesus that suddenly walking out his ways is not as challenging as it may feel in our modern Christianity where we minimize the sitting with Jesus, we maximize the doing for Jesus, and because of that, it is so difficult because we're trying to do the things without the actual fuel, which is the presence of the living God.
And so we celebrate people who are doing the things for Jesus, even if they're doing it on empty and it's costing them their marriage, their lives, their joy, their peace. And we never celebrate someone who's accomplished nothing in their life other than just being in love with God. And so I want us to start, that's why I want us to start with intimacy. Be with Jesus. Because he made a way where there was absolutely no way for us to come into this Trinitarian, familial, love relationship with him. Where we are presented before him without spot or blemish or accusation that we would be able to come boldly into his presence like sons and daughters to a father who would never turn us away and just enjoy him. That is what Jesus accomplished because that is what Jesus knows in that relationship. And he wants it to be ours as well. So my question for us this morning, all of us, is what and how are you making space for intimacy with God? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The passion of God's Spirit otherwise known as scripturally as we say the Holy Spirit, is to reveal. So scripturally, this works in two ways. Are you guys still tracking with me? You guys good? I mean, I don't know why I ask you those questions. I, every time I ask a question, I end up apologizing. I need to stop doing that. Okay, I'm just, that's just my way of saying, hey, let's lock back in here. You guys are awesome. Scripturally, there's two ways that Holy Spirit reveals. One is revealing the one true God to us and to the world, and two, revealing our stuff, where light shines Darkness is exposed. Good news, where light shines, darkness also is removed. So it's not just about exposure, it's also about his light coming and removing darkness. I'm not saying this to shame you. The Holy Spirit reveals God to us. Holy Spirit reveals our stuff inside of us, not in a way of shame. The enemy wants us to hold on to shame. Why? Because when shame tells us a story that causes us to remain in our sin, the revelation of the Holy Spirit that brings light is actually a beacon to call us out of our sin, right? So shame wants us to remain ensnared in our mess, whereas the exposing, exposure of the Holy Spirit wants to remove uh, the sliver, the thorn, the venom, the, us from the briar bush, whatever it might be. And so we're inviting Holy Spirit in that place of intimacy to reveal. Reveal God to me and let your light shine on my life. That the darkness, the things I believe, whatever it might be, are exposed and removed. So I want you to take some time to reflect this morning. We've got about 20 minutes left, so let me slow this down even further today. Nothing I'm asking you, as I said, the reason I said that bit about Holy Spirit is not because I'm going to ask you these questions, and often when I ask questions, it can get a little shamey in here. And some of that is my personality. For that, I have to take full responsibility, and I apologize. Some of it is the enemy who wants to accuse us. And so we are not here to shame anyone by asking questions. So the question is very practical. How and when do you make time in your day to prioritize for your relationship with God? Simple practices like reading his word, prayer, worship, silence or solitude, encountering God, being infilled with intimacy. Now, I'm not asking this to give out gold stars. I'm not asking this to be like, yeah, I'm really good at this. 
This is my moment to shine. I'm, I'm really asking a practical question for you to consider right now. I have no, I have no back-end agenda for asking this question. I'm not going anywhere with it. That's, all, that's, that's where I'm going with it. We're going to ask some questions. The first one is just for you to consider. In the daily rhythms of your life, where are you making time for your relationship with God? For reading the word, for prayer, silence, solitude, fasting, worship, whatever, whatever it is that you feel compelled in your relationship with Jesus to have in your life. Now, my follow-up question to that is what we alluded to earlier. What is one thing that you do regularly, daily, or even multiple times a day? This is how practical this is. This is how simple this is. What is something that you do regularly or multiple times a day or a week that doesn't bring you life, that doesn't bring you closer to God? Now, I put in my notes, you can't see it, but I put closer in parentheses because that matters. Just a second, we'll talk a little bit about that some more. But what is something that you do in your life that doesn't bring you closer? Can you remove that thing? And if not, can you decrease the amount of time that you give to that thing? Can you add that time then, as you have recuperated part of that time, can you give that time back to the Holy Spirit or back into your day and ask Holy Spirit, how can I use these minutes to be available to you? And I say minutes because I am stoked if it's three minutes. If you are going, like, like I'm not trying to lower the bar so far that we all clear it, right? Let's everybody get trophies. That's a joke. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I'm not trying to lower the bar. I am sincerely saying with all of my heart as a pastor, if you are struggling to give God any time on a regular basis and you came to me next week and you said, for the first time in I don't know how many months, I was able to give five minutes to the Lord where before for years I gave zero, I am going to be stoked to hear that. That is not like, oh, only five minutes? Well, I did five hours and I fasted. <laughs> if I'm stoked, imagine the Lord's heart that you would say, I have been, been, been spending 10 minutes just wasting my time on this thing, and it gives me nothing, and I want to give that to you. Should I read the Bible in a year? I know, I don't know. Just give it to the Lord and sit with him and open the scripture or whatever it might be. It would be amazing. And so I'm not saying this to give you some sort of like patronizing, oh, give him three minutes, like literally three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes more, 20 minutes more, whatever it is, to give him the space and the time that we are recuperating time wasted and we are gaining it and giving it into, sowing it into the eternal. I want to say this. We do not strive We do not strive to get closer to God or more of God. We adjust our life to increase our, away, our awareness of what is already and absolutely true. We do not strive to get closer or more. We adjust our life to increase our awareness of what is already and absolutely true. 
So often in Christianity, we are sold a bill of goods that is repackaged striving, repackaged humanism. It is go for God. Go for more. Do the thing. Do it once. Do it harder. Do it with more gusto. And in so doing, you will get closer to God. You will gain whatever it is, his attention, his affection, his reward by your earning and striving. Those who we look to as close to the Lord are actually no closer than you or I are. (laughs) Because closeness isn't something that we work for on our end. It is finished. Jesus has done it. The people that we look to as they are so close to the Lord, it is because they steward their lives and their time and their minds, and their bodies, and their behaviors, and their habits to increase their awareness of what already is in order to carry what already is. They are no closer to God than you are right in this moment. Because it is Jesus who brought us into closeness. It is finished. You have full access through your allegiance to Jesus to all that God is and the outpouring of his spirit. And it is not earned and it does not go up and down throughout your life like a yo-yo. When it feels like it is yo-yoing, it is not God's presence coming and going. It is your awareness that has shifted. And so what we are learning to do is to steward our awareness so that we are, rem- so we are able to remember what we have access to every moment and every second of our day and life. Stop striving to win the trophy. Everybody gets a trophy. Still, I thought that joke would be a little better, but you know what? We'll try it again another day. I'm going to have the worship team come up here. We're going to sing a a worship song together called Communion. And I want to return to where we started. The lie from the beginning is that we must earn what we already have access to. Remember Eve, Adam and Eve created in what? In God's image. Created in God's image and then what? He breathed life into them. So the fullness of his breath was in them and they were created in their image. And then what was the lie that the serpent brought to them? Did God really say, you know what? If you do this thing, you would become like God. And so the enemy came and was able to convince them. Eyes up here. The worship team will make it here without you watching them. (laughs) The very beginning, created in God's image, Filled with God's breath. If you do this thing, you will become like God. He sold them what they already had. And from that day forward, that has been the lie that is after every single one of us. That you have to earn intimacy, relational intimacy with God. When yet the completed work of Jesus, the good news that we celebrate is saying it's already available to you. That we would not look for that shortcut. 
We have full communion. We have access and reconciliation to God through Jesus, every single one of us. But separational and transactional Christianity has seeped into every single one of our brains and minds and hearts, if we've been around this at all, that churches fill their seats. This sounds, I'm going to sound like a cranky old pastor and a bitter, bitter poor pastor. <laughs> I'm really not. But listen, transactional Christianity is what so many of us have been given throughout the entirety of our life. Separation Christianity is what we've been given. That God is far away from you. God is disappointed in you. That you have to earn or do or this or that to be able to get back into that place instead of celebrating the fullness of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Oh my goodness. Pete, I love you, buddy. Hang tight. Here we go. I turned the page. There's more here. (laughs) This is what happens when you write on Sunday morning. Separational and transactional religion and church lies to you to keep you coming and to keep you giving and to keep you feeling like you're always almost not enough. You have to keep showing up. You have to keep doing things. You have to keep giving. You have to keep doing that stuff. And that is transactional. And it's based off a lie of separation between us and God that Jesus came and obliterated. But the question then is, does he have access to you? The salvation call to every single one of us is from Jesus, and it says, come and follow me. That is the laying down our life. It is the letting go. It is the drowning in to him. Life without Jesus is like treading water when an entire world exists below the waves, and all we have to do is die to ourselves to let us go under the waves to come alive to him and to his life and to his reality, and I see us on the top just expending all kinds of energy to keep ourselves above the water, and Jesus says, come and follow me, and you're like, how? And he says, stop all of that. Die into me, and come alive to what truly matters. I have come that you would have life, and life to the fullest. John 10, 10, that promise begins with laying down our lives to him, and Jesus says, come and follow me in Matthew 4, 19, and the disciples laid down their life to follow him. The nets that they laid down, the boats that they laid down, the jobs that they laid down, the wealth that they laid down, the notoriety they laid down, the causes, the political causes as zealots or or, um, as Sadducees, all those causes that they laid down that represented their entire lives being laid down to Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, whoever finds his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. And whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it. That is, life with me for all eternity. Imagine if Jesus said to you or to those disciples, come and follow me. And they were like, yes, Jesus, you are the prophesied and the promised Messiah. You are God in the flesh. And then they just stood there and awkwardly stared at him. I will follow you. He's like, come and follow me. And they're like, I, I am. <laughs> He's like, no, you got to lay that down. Your life laid down. Holding on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lay down your life and follow me, you will find it. I believe that one of the reasons that Jesus was always on the move, going from town to town, rather than creating a ministry center. Think about how Three, if you have three or three and a half years to do ministry, you're going to say, I will be here, everybody come here. 
But I believe that one of the reasons that he was always moving is that he wanted followers, not visitors. When I visit Jesus, I can step away from my life for a bit and then I can go back to it. When I follow Jesus, I have to let go of my life and I have to make his way my way, his destination my destination, his agenda for the day my agenda for the day. And from those followers that were willing to lay down their life, he created and built or brought forth disciples and apprentices that would follow him. He wants followers, not visitors. Psalm 91, 1 and 2, and I'll leave you guys with this invitation. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him, I will trust. I have no other refuge. I have no other fortress. I have no other trust. I have laid it all down. He said, come and follow me. And I said, nets, livelihood, identity, reputation, whatever. I lay it down. Jesus, I follow you. I'm not going to visit you and then go back to my life. I'm going to follow you with all of my life. So as we respond this morning, I'm going to trust you guys to be able to manage this because I, I, I took way more time this morning. So we want to... Um, honor our kids teachers our youth teachers we are done at 11:45, which gives us about three minutes so i apologize that there isn't more of a time for you to respond but for those who would like to stay in this room for a few minutes we're going to worship we're going to sing communion and we are also going to open the communion table to you we do this as followers of jesus as instructed in scripture that when we come together we would remember his life his death his resurrection his enthronement we do that through remembering the cross, his broken body and his blood poured out. And so the communion table is open to you in response to simply say, I am not visiting you, I am following you. And that we would worship and we would take whatever time we need in here for a few minutes. The worship team will continue to lead us in this song. But if you have kids and youth, again, my sincerest apologies. <laughs> that didn't come out quite right. <laughs> but also kind of true. We love you guys so much. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I believe that God is taking us to some incredible places this year together. Communion is open. Worship is here. And if you need to talk, hang out, get your kids, please refrain from talking in here if you can. Sorry, I forget to say this every week. Please refrain from talking in here so that we can keep this a sacred space. If you want to talk, chit-chat, get to know people, invite someone to lunch, do that in the lobby. Uh, or the youth lobby. We love you guys so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us this morning and walking this out with us these months.